My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. recording. Hi everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today we are sitting down with Rachel K. Albers. She's the uh, founder, creative director, and business comedian at RKA Inc. and the host of Awkward Marketing, a business comedy show. Welcome Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you and speak with you. Um, Before I get into peppering Rachel with questions, I will read a bio on her. However, prior to that, I'm going to remind everyone of the roadmap for today's podcast. It's going to follow the same trajectory as all of them on this series, which is we'll first look at Rachel's academic background and early professional life. Then we'll turn our attention to unpacking RKA and awkward marketing and any other endeavors she wants to enumerate on. And then we'll look at goals that she may or may not have for the next three years or such. And then we will finally wrap everything up with looking at advice that Rachel has for those of you looking to get involved in what she does or perhaps mirror some of your trajectory after hers. A quick bio on Rachel. Rachel K. Albers is a digital strategist and business comedian. She's the founder and creative director of RKA Inc., a branding, web design, and digital marketing studio based outside of Chicago. And she's the host of Awkward Marketing. It's a business comedy show blending fun-sized business advice with storytelling and sketch comedy. Think of her as the one-woman SNL um, biz TV. So anyone who's looking to um, a quick website to drop on you for to look further into Rachel after hearing the podcast, you can find her at www.rkaink.com or www.awkwardmarketing.com. So Rachel, before we get into your current endeavors, I was hoping that you could um, kind of draw a picture of your academic background and or your early professional life prior to what you're doing now. It was a rocky road, a long and winding path. Certainly wasn't um, a step-by-step how to start an agency kind of a background for me. And Um, my undergrad degree was in theater actually. And so I studied theater and I did also study marketing because, you know, you have to have a fallback and that's what I had. And guess what? I fell back, but it actually turned out really (laughs) cool because I brought 
the theater in too, right? I, I still got the theater. So I studied theater and then I decided to kind of pivot and go to law school. And there are a few reasons for that. I had that whole world changing law and order, you know, litigator fantasy, that whole situation. Mm-hmm. So I go to law school. <clears throat> and after my first year in law school, I get this internship in Southern Mexico working on a human rights project. And I, I was working with young women and, and, um, a women's organization. And I kind of fell in love with this work. And you know, what was so crazy about this is I was placed in Mexico on a legal internship, but I ended up working with this indigenous women's theater organization. What, how did it all come back around? Right. And they were using theater as a tool for community education, for helping to teach people about their rights. Um, you know, community building and all that kind of stuff. And it was really just this great, powerful tool. And I was exposed to this other application of theater and kind of fell in love with it. So flash forward, I decided to drop out of law school, Mm -hmm. move to Mexico, start doing this work uh, full-time pro bono. And when I did that, I said, how the heck do I make a living in this new country? I don't want to take a job in the local economy from someone. I got a background in marketing and and creative. Um, I got a laptop. And that's what I did. I, I, I went out and I got some gigs online to fund my nonprofit work. And along the way, nice. kind of fell in love with running my own business, right? So it was never the dream to become an entrepreneur. And it wasn't certainly what my schooling was leading up to because I was going in all these different directions. Um, but I was able to kind of take my background and I had, you know, miscellaneous marketing experience in college and after college. And I'd done a lot of different jobs as you do, right? putting mm-hmm. yourself through school and then after school. And so I drew on all of that and started my own thing and hung my own shingle, started looking for clients and, and I was off to the races. So after you acquired these clients and you were doing kind of your own thing, how long did it take until you kind of climbed into um, RKA? And can you tell us what the acronym stands for? It stands for Rachel K. Albers. And I'll tell you this, <laughs> this is a funny story behind my name is that, you know, I came up with this business name sitting on my bed in my little tiny one room studio apartment that I rented for like $80 a month. And I came up with it in about five minutes with absolutely no strategy or thought. And there is a gift and a blessing in urgency, right? And the need to begin and the Mm -hmm. inability to second guess yourself. So I was like, I'm RKA. I did a lot of copywriting in the beginning. So the ink made sense back then. And I started with it and I grew, I would say it took me probably about four or five years for the business to get really strong and for us to have really a healthy, you know, client flow and just, you know, lots of referrals coming in. Um, But by that point we had built up a certain degree of brand recognition and I realized, well, if we're going to change the name, it's going to be for a damn good reason. Right. Yeah. And so we just ran with it and it's, it's been the name, even though, you know, I didn't spend six months, you know, with a think tank coming up with that thing and it's fine and it works. Right. And, yeah. it is what it, and I've owned it over the years and I, I, I go by RKA. A lot of people know me as RKA. So I've really claimed that to reinforce the name that is otherwise maybe a little weak. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've kind of strengthened it with my own branding. And so that's it. I like it. Well, I think acronyms are strong anyway. I mean, it reminds me of like REI or any other kind of maybe sport or outdoor, you know, um, there's a, there's a whole industry that kind of looks for the acronym. It has its, its own suit de jour, if you will. So when, when would you say it was officially launched and were you the singular founder or did you have co-founders? I launched it at, uh, 2009. 
Um, so this is year 11 and no, it was me, baby, all me. And it's always been me, only me. And that's how it's going to stay. Yeah. Okay. In so no interest <laughs> in co-founders. Is that something you knew Absolutely about yourself not. early on? No, I had no idea. See, here's the thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was not looking at this like an entrepreneur. I became an entrepreneur, I'd say three or four years in, right? And mm -hmm. in those early days, it was doing what you got to do because my singular focus really was my pro bono work. And I kind of was wooed by my own business. It, it, I fell in love with it over the years and thus really kind of stepped into looking at it like a business owner. So those early decisions were not made strategically. Like somebody said to me earlier today, I said something about how I got my first few gigs on Elance, which was the beginning of Upwork, right? Before uh -huh. there was Upwork, there was Elance. He was like, oh, so Elance was your growth strategy. I'm like, um, yeah, you could call it that. Yeah. You could call it a girl. I would call it a how the hell do I feed myself tonight strategy. That was yeah. really all it was. It's lipstick right? on a pig you know? of growth strategy. <laughs> that was my grocery shop. I love it though. I'm like, strategy here on too. Out. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to just call it a growth strategy and make myself sound super fancy. But no, I had no idea what I was doing. And it wasn't until a few years down the road that I started like really actually treating it like a business and approaching it like a business. And, um, and, and yeah. Well, it sounds like your early clients, you said, you know, you, you kind of, um, you were wooed by your own business, by RKAs in the beginning. I wonder if that had to do with some of the early clientele you received. Do you think that that had to do with good relationships early on or was it just you loving your success? Um, no. Yeah. Because I had some bad clients early on, right? We all do in the early days. You take on the clients that are really getting a deal and that you mm -hmm. do everything for them for like $4 a, you know, a day, you know, or something. Right. right? Um, and I'm, I'm exaggerating, but no, I think what I realized along the way was in the beginning, this was a utility. It was like, how do I survive in another country and do this work? And then I started realizing, wow, this is the perfect confluence of all of my skills. I've got the strategic work which is a huge part of my kind of, you know, strength set. And then I've got the creative work. Um, I've got the communications work and the emotional work, the people work, which is such a big part of it. I get to put all of those things together mm -hmm. and it's, it's living an adventure. And, and I like to tell people when I came back to the States, which is at the end of 2016, we, my husband and I had met my husband in Mexico. We came to the States um, and when I made that transition, um, one of the things that I saw, one of the things that I realized was, oh, I lost my train of thought. I realized that I don't have a damn clue what the hell I'm doing in this world. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel you. I, well, well, the, regarding the business and how it's been going, I mean, because you're 11 years in, can you speak to like the growth? It sounds like in the beginning you were taking on anybody, but as you started to receive a steady flow of clientele, did you find yourself like getting industry specific as to who you wanted to work with? And if so, did you have like a niche um, you were falling into? Did that help or hurt growth? How did any of that work together? Yeah, I think in the early days, everybody's trying on niches and trying on messaging and they're feeling into their brand voice. And that certainly was the case for me. Um, in the early days, what was funny was I didn't choose a niche. A niche kind of chose me. I got mm. involved in a few Facebook communities and I got some referrals. And then suddenly I was the go-to web designer for a lot of like spiritual small businesses and healers and pe like yoga teachers. And this is not my world. I don't really do that stuff. I'm not a yogi like at all. I'll do it. It's fun, <laughs> but it's not my thing. 
So these people kind of, and then like more and more kept referring to me. And that was my niche for a while, just out of, um, by default, it just kind of happened to me. But as I grew, I had a lot of crises over, should I niche down? Should I choose? Like a lot of people were pressuring me and saying, you should be, uh, you know, a marketing and design firm for lawyers or for dentists or just choose an industry. And, and I kind of took, you know, a lot of my brand identity is, is around being an iconoclast and breaking the rules. And so I did, I, I very much took a different route with branding and the way my brand has evolved over the years has really become not about industry, although there is a certain, I could, you know, define it to a degree as much as it is about um, what these brands want to be known for. Like they, you know, brands that are drawn to RKA Inc. want to create epic, unforgettable experiences for their clients. They want to be unmissable. They want to become the obsession of their audience. Mm-hmm. They want to be bold. They want to, they want to push or they think they do. Right. And so they're attracted to that. So that's the tie that binds is, is clients that value that and clients that are in many ways, world changers and visionaries and like to push the envelope and, see themselves as, um, as people who are pushing the lines of society and, and care about mission, like their mission just as much as they care about the money. And th- that has become my niche and it works. It works. It's kind of a backwards niche approach, but it, ha- it definitely works and, um, has just become more reinforced over the years. So, yeah. So uh, given that you kind of developed this reputation early on, even one that was an industry you weren't overly attached to, would, did you have to do a ton of marketing or have you sense or has your trajectory kind of been self-based and, and business-based or have you had to reach out to PR and marketing? And if so, do you use social? What's your favorite tool? In the early days, I was playing with marketing, I, I, you know, and as I said, we're all kind of testing and experimenting and, and seeing what content lands and seeing what people respond to. So I spent some time, fi- you know, figuring it out. So my early attempts, maybe like the first five, six, seven years, the content I was generating was pretty mediocre and um, not doing a lot for me, right? So in that way, my business in those t- days was very much about referrals. And, and it was great. It was for an agency model that works just fine, right? It's great. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. shame in that. However, knowing that there's a desire to scale, knowing I'm, I'm in the midst of kind of growing the brand and forking it and doing some fun things that I'll tell you about in a sec, um, now I started to think about, you know, really walking my talk in terms of what I'm teaching my clients and what we're teaching and leading our clients in when it comes to content marketing. So over the last, let's say three years become a lot more aggressive in visibility and having a, an online presence in terms of the content we're creating. So yeah, we've dialed up the marketing and we have a pretty robust social media presence. You know, the core of it is awkward marketing. My business comedy sketch show, which is just cranking out lots of really fun comedy-based business educational content. And then from there, yeah, we distribute that content in a lot of different fun ways. And we've got our email newsletter, we've got our blog, we've got, and then we put that content on YouTube, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. And what's interesting about our approach is we don't just like post the YouTube link all those places, but we, we do post that content natively everywhere because mm-hmm. the goal isn't to build the YouTube channel. The goal is to get this content that we're creating seen by as many people as possible and touching as many people as possible. And so we do that and then we repurpose it a ton and um, it's, it does make a huge difference and a significant increase in our clients comes from our content marketing efforts. And it's really interesting, you know, the doors that that opens. And so that has been a bigger focus more recently, but I'd say in the early days, no, I didn't need a huge marketing push 
to build the structure of the business and start a he- like a healthy client roster. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I've got the healthy client roster, but there's a ceiling to how much work we can produce. What right. else can we do? And so let's scale a little bit and let's build the audience and let's create content that we're reaching more people instead of one by one with each individual client. Yeah. And let's climb into that because I think awkward marketing is um, both clever and also kind of on the beginning of a wave, you know, where I see a lot of marketing turning from this um, almost serious, intensely, um, I call it the uh, uh, Lincoln, what's his name? Um, Lincoln Continental. Um, <laughs> the, the, the actor doing the face for that. Um, oh, it's just escaped me. Matthew McConaughey? Ma- yes, McConaughey. Just these very serious, dry, overly manly moments and all of this marketing things too, kind of turning into more of like a, um, like a, a prankster, a jokester. I remember the first time I ever got on a Delta flight like four years ago and they had done their entire, um, setup, you know, um, safety, uh, introduction video in like this mock format. And I was yeah. going to Paris and it was a Delta Paris flight and um, it might've been Air France through Delta or something, but it was all done in this very like tongue in cheek jokey. And it was the first time anyone had seen it on the plane. It must've been one of the first weeks they were running it because people were kind of like taken aback and laughing. And it was, it took, it took something very old and rudimentary and things that we've yeah. all seen too many times and kind of repurposed it and it made it yes. interesting and funny and yes. it was able to like re-embody things. And so- I kind of, um, I'm wondering how much of that you do with awkward marketing or how much of it is just a creative outlet for you to also kind of pull in the work you do with RKA. So that's what you just said is kind of one of the cruxes of how we define binge worthy content, right? Content that people, you know, not just tolerate, but are excited for, they're waiting for, they're expectant for content that doesn't feel like marketing content mm-hmm. that is entertaining, content that is art in a way, right? Mm-hmm. That's binge worthy. And one of the foundational pieces of this is that <clears throat> binge worthy content, it doesn't have to be about reinventing a new thought or creating something brand new that no one's ever heard of before. Um, it's not about what you say as much as how you say it. And so that Delta example is so perfect because they took something and they didn't rewrite the script. They still told you where the exit were and like, oh, the thing's going to drop from the top of the plane. And, uh, but they did, it's how they said it that made it so remarkable and unforgettable. And you're still talking about Delta to this day because mm-hmm. of that content, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. That, that is, that, that's one of the cornerstones of it. So yes, absolutely. You know, I say with awkward marketing, I'm not reinventing the wheel like here. I'm not creating a new, like a new, a hot, hot takes on marketing that have never been for been said by anyone else, but I am saying it in a very different way than others have said it. And that's allowing people to think about these concepts in new ways, right? Like roll these concepts around their brain in a different way than if they're reading a how-to blog or listening to a one, two, three, here's, here's how you do it podcast. But if you're watching a sketch comedy like show where you're like thinking about this concept in ridiculous extreme ways, that gets your brain moving and working and coming up with creative solutions. So, and remembering, right? Like laughter makes you remember things. Um, mm-hmm. And so, hey, that's great for branding. So that's kind of been the impetus and absolutely like Certainly there's a creative outlet to it, but it's definitely a strategic show. Like it's a funny show, but the, the comedy always has layers of meaning and purpose. And there's always a lesson at the end. There's a little Aesop's fable, if you will. Yeah. Awkward Aesop, you know? 
Do you ever run out so, of ideas? Yeah. How many how many episodes are you mm-hmm. releasing um, a week, a month? And how do you come up with your ideas? Do you roundtable that with your your crew? How does that come together? So I do a batching of my show, which means about twice a year, I do big, huge batches of all of my filming for the rest of the year, right? Nice. And I try to release an episode every other week. And I've got some like special types of episodes. I do like little like five episode series right around Halloween, um, where we have a lot of fun. This year we had must-see TV. So it was Seinfeld, The <laughs> Office, Friends. Um, gosh, I'm missing, I'm missing a couple. Uh, but, you know, you get it. Like a full yeah. house, Safe by the Bell. And it was, all the, it was all about the launch experience with these parodies of these, like, classic TV shows. Or not so classic, but classic for 80s kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or 70s to 80s kids. So, um, yeah. Um, that is... So we do... I would say like maybe like 24 to 30 episodes a year. Um, That's amazing. And we batch it. So I'm doing these huge batches. And what I do is I have a notebook of ideas that I'm collecting all year long. So like as the things are coming to me, I'll see like a billboard and I'll be like, whoop, there's an idea I put in the notebook. So that by, when the batch time comes around, I've got reams of ideas and then I can sort through them and say, what, like what would make up a great season? And from there, then I come up with the sketches to illustrate them. And then that's when I get all my costumes and I get tons of props and I come up with the sketches and I write them. Then I batch shoot everything. And so it kind of keeps me honest in terms of creating content because as an agency owner, I've got a ton of client work all the time. I never am not busy. So it's very easy to get into your week and say, I don't have time for content. But when I've already filmed the episode, it's already written, it's already done. And all I have to do is edit it now. Um, then it keeps me producing consistently and I'm typically really excited to edit it because I want the world to see it because I've come up with this funny thing and I'm doing something ridiculous and I'm ready you know to share so yeah that works out the batching thing and that helps make sure that I don't run out of ideas and often I will like go to friends and be like is this stupid is this crazy is this sketch make sense for this and they'll be like yes it's great it's amazing and um and typically my gut is right and it is so it works you know it's it's a fun ride Absolutely. So when you talked about earlier, you talked about forking, about, you know, diversifying and, and taking your clients on, on kind of different trajectories. Nice. Can you enumerate more about that? Does that kind of tie into some of the awkward marketing skill set or is it a completely different path? It does. It does tie in. And basically what's happening is RKA Inc., which is my agency, um, is staying, it's staying, it's doing our thing and we work with people on, you know, big full-scale rebrand projects where we're doing their brand strategy and we're redesigning their brand and creating amazing websites and campaigns. And so that's continuing to do its thing. But over, uh, you know, the fork comes in terms of my personal brand. So Rachel K. Albers is getting her own home. Mm -hmm. Awkward marketing will live over there. My speaking will live over there. My courses, my consulting, and my you know, my, this is where I'm able to reach a wider audience. And, you know, that's where awkward marketing is the hub for, and then can just grow from there. So that's where the forking comes from. Rachel K. Albers can serve a lot more people theoretically than my agency can, because we're doing these really boutique bespoke Mm. projects that take months. And how many people can we even serve a year? No more than a few dozen maximum, right? Like, so that's kind of where the fork comes in, if you will. I see. That is good. I mean, I think it's good even to just structurally have that in your head as, as a founder and, you know, as a creator of content and everything else. It's, I think it's, it's important to understand how and where you diversify as a human being and as a business and as a talent. Um, it's interesting. I've never heard. Yeah. And my friend, 
um, my friend described it like this way and it totally made sense to me. And I was like, yes, on the agency side, it's done for you services on the personal brand side. It's show you how to services. And that's the distinction, which I think really for me, as I'm doing this forking, which is hard to do because my feet is in, are in both brands. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm such a big part of both brands, but to see it as the done for you versus the show you how to really helps me get clear about what's the goal of both of those brands. Right. Yeah. Um, and what's like, you know, the focus. So that's, you know, that's where we're headed. Well, and you and, follow yeah. the natural trajectory into what I wanted to ask you next, which is, you know, this, this forking and the goals of, you know, actually kind of being the, the impetus and the ethos of, of, of that whole concept. Do, what are your goals for each particular branch, if you will, of RKA and awkward marketing? And if, if they diversify or if they're similar in some respects for the next three years, do you sit down? Is that the way you think? Do you think about things in the next one to three years? Or you do put that aside and think next week is all I'm looking at. No, I do both. I, I, it's a yes and a no. It's a both and to this baby um, <laughs> because there is certainly an element of I have goals, I have dreams, I have a vision for the business, businesses. But then there's also part of why I love entrepreneurship is, is surrendering to knowing that with each new connection I make, with each new day that goes by, with each new opportunity I have, it's going to open doors to things that I don't even know to dream about yet. And that's kind of mm -hmm. what I think is cool about this work is that also a lot of us in this online space don't know what the hell we're doing in the sense that we don't have centuries of ex like, like mentors and wise guides who chiseled out these careers for us. We are chiseling the careers for the future, right? So I am, yeah. I am open in that way. However, what I would say is with RKA Inc., we're really focused on you know, chiseling down to working with a, a really curated, selected group of people who are badasses that are doing incredible work in the world, but their brands are just not up to speed, right? Their brands have dragged behind and the world needs to know how incredible they are, right? We're going to position them to be these unforgettable brands. So that's the goal there. It's just work with the best of the biz, baby, and all different, you know, and yeah, we focus a lot on, on thought leaders and authors and speakers and people who have built really successful businesses and themselves are now building personal brands, right? We do a lot of that. But we also mm -hmm. have our feet in a lot of other industries. And then on the Rachel K. Albert side, you know, I'm... I'm doing a lot of speaking <laughs> um, when events are happening in the world, right? And otherwise I'm doing it at speaking online. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, speaking with bigger audiences and bringing, and the cool thing with awkward marketing is, you know, I've got this, this pre-produced sketch comedy show, but with the speaking, I bring that entertainment element live. I bring characters. I bring like the whole one woman show slash marketing keynote. So that's a big goal, right? Bring that to more stages um, and create my own events and have people come out for really one of a kind experiential workshops that have that element of entertainment to them because that's again, how you remember things. And it's also, I think needed in, in a, for people who are struggling with like the heavy weight of building their businesses. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. And I think it takes a very, very gifted individual to keep a somber note for more than 15 minutes and have anyone stay awake. So I'm the daughter of a poet and, and I've heard some really beautiful poetry that can still put me to sleep unless it's got a line or two in there that's going to like perk my um, senses up a bit. 
So I would completely concur. Um, and I think you're right. I think that it's a great way to have um, serious information kind of relayed in a way that doesn't mean like end of times. And um, business owners and entrepreneurs alike take things really, really seriously. And they're told to always take things even more seriously, which is tragic because I think all of us need to lighten up from time to time. I'm wondering if you ran into someone um, in a park outside of Chicago or if you were visiting Mexico and you were in um, one of the beautiful parks there tomorrow and it was a young woman or female identified or non-binary individual and she came up to you and she said, listen, um, I'm going to kind of develop my own like um, content marketing firm. I'm also going to do this creative thing on the side. I I have an outlet I want to do that with. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give her knowing what you know now? I would say start creating now, start scrappy and start crappy um, because <laughs> the only way you're going to find the great content is through the shitty stuff. And you've got to be creating to see what lands and to work that muscle and to like have a dialogue with your audience. And also because when you're in that like low production quality, but like, you know, you're, you're, really testing content, that's going to show you where to double down and invest. Too many people invest too soon in content strategies that they don't, they haven't validated yet. So go and start now because the content you create today, I like to say, is a gift you give your future self. And with content marketing, it's a long game. It's a marathon. It is not a quick results type of a thing. So you got to start creating now. You will thank yourself later, even if it's crappy because it's going to lead you towards the good stuff. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is you have to have, you have to take a stand about something in this content. Um, the best content out there, the content worth paying attention to has an opinion and isn't afraid to tell you what it thinks, mm -hmm. right? And I think oh, too many people are afraid. They want to talk to everyone. They want everyone to feel comfortable. They want, they don't want to lose any sales. They don't want to alienate anyone. And that is forgettable content. And there, it's, we're swimming in it on the yeah. internet, all this generic garbage. So you know, if you you've got to stand up if you want to stand out. So that would be my second piece of advice. And my third piece of advice would be kind of going back to this idea that it's a long game. You got to be prepared to feel like you're speaking into an empty void for a while. And if you have that emotional preparation, when it happens, you can talk yourself out of quitting because you will want to quit. And as I said, this is a long game and the internet is becoming more crowded every day. 4 million blog posts plus are being published every single day. So it is challenging. Like it's, it's not what it was 10 years ago when a lot of the people that we follow, the leaders in the industry started. It is not the same landscape that they entered into, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to take time. And if you're prepared for that and you, you think about this as a long game and you remember what I said, that the content you create today is the gift you give your future self, then those times where you're like, why am I doing this? You've got to push through because it is a long game. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And the people who go the distance are the ones that create epic, unforgettable brands. And they're the ones that survive long-term, the ones who don't give up on their own marketing, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. To summarize, I've got start creating now, scrappy and crappy for your future self. It's a gift. The second one is have to um, you have to take a stand in content. Uh, stand up if you want to stand out. And the third one is be emotionally prepared for the marathon. I love it. It's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Those are fantastic. Well, listen, Rachel, we are running out of time, which is a bummer because I want to get more into it. I think I'm going to circle back around and see if I can convince you in about six months to sit back down with us and kind of 
um, get further into awkward marketing and some of the stuff that you're doing. And so I encourage everyone listening to um, jump on her website and check out um, RKA Inc., as well as awkwardmarketing.com. And I want to say thank you so much for taking the time today, Rachel. I know we had a bit of a audio delay and you're patient and hysterical. And I just really appreciate your time and all of your advice today. It was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for giving us your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Slunch. Slunch.